Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, wherever you're listening, that you have a moment to enjoy some beauty in your life, no matter how small it might be. Uh, and so today, I'm very excited to welcome a special guest to the show. Um, she and I have known each other both close and afar <laughs> for quite some time. Uh, she is a poet who is based in San Francisco. Uh, she currently is the author of Letters to a Young Brown Girl, which just came out. I'm so excited for this book. Um, I'm going to read a little bit about her official bio. She was born in Manila, Philippines, raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is one of my favorite places to be, uh, is the author of five previous collections of poetry, Gravities of Center, Poeta in San Francisco, um, Diwata, and uh, To Love as Aswang, and Invocation to Daughters. Jeez, girl, you've been writing a lot, and I just lost track. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Barbara Jane Reyes. Woo! Thank you for having me. It's nice to connect with you again. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while, and I'm just so glad to um, to make this connection. Um, I have been reading your work over over the time, but it's just so funny how time just kind of keeps moving, and we lose track of of just how much time passes until yep. you know, pandemic. <laughs> And then it's like, we're home and we can reconnect with people. Yeah, yeah. Ironically, and, ironically. Uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, so to start our episode, we will turn to Hafez's book of poems called The Gift, and we'll mm. see how our conversation will begin. Nice. All right, so this one is called It Is Unanimous. It is unanimous where I come from. Everyone agrees on one thing. It's no fun when God is not near. All are hunters. The wise man learns the friend's weaknesses and sets a clever trap. Listen, the beloved has called, has agreed to play a game called love. Our sun sat in the sky way before this earth was born, waiting to caress a billion faces. Hafez encourages all art, for at its height, it brings light near to us. The wise man learns what draws God near. It is the beauty of compassion in your heart. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. I was just thinking of that last encourages all art because it brings light to us. Yeah. That's it right there. <laughs> yeah. Actually that, and that's what stood out for me out of the whole piece too. I mean, there's so many different things there, but, mm -hmm. um, but art, I feel ends up being very undervalued um, in our capitalist juggernaut of existence. Um, and for this reminder to come through feels really timely given our current circumstances. Um, everyone's feeling that they're in darkness or struggling or whatever it is. And I find that a lot of people have, at least, you know, in the beginning, we're turning to poetry, um, yes. looking for light. And so, um, so how does that 
translate for you as far as you being a poet, both as a reader and as a creator of poetry? Um, that is a really great question. I, I agree with you that at the very beginning of this pandemic, people were, you know, it coincided with na uh, National Poetry Writing Month and National Poetry Month. And so I did see a lot of people who I, uh, um, you know, hadn't thought of as, uh, you know, folks who read poetry or folks who I, you know, hadn't written poetry in a very long time, suddenly there was this outpouring. Um, and so I, I realized it was a way of processing uh, so much kind of grief and trying to come to a place of understanding. And as Hafez says, and as, as we're saying here, you know, a place of light. Um, so as, as a poet, right, as a reader and as a teacher, I found that very heartening, right? Sometimes in my most cynical times I think oh we'll see people only come to poetry when they're at their lowest point and expect poetry to do all of these like impossible things to save them and um, I still believe that but I believe that without the cynicism mm. you know, mm. that we are constantly hitting highs and constantly hitting lows in our everyday lives and maybe right now is a time that we are noticing the highs and lows much more acutely rather than just kind of going through our day-to-day, -day, you know, kind of numbing ourselves through commute and work and whatever. And, um, you know, just really kind of sitting with grief and loss and, um, you know, all of the things that are constantly being taken from us or that we are deprived of um, now that poetry is always a perfect place for that. We're always in that state, whether we notice it or not. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. And, and I love that, you know, what you said earlier that, you know, poetry kind of just loses its place in this kind of capitalist um, machine that we are stuck in and that art um, just is really only valued for what can sell and what you can buy and what you can collect. Um, and I'm right. like, no, no, art happens in our lives as a way of being in ourselves, I think. Yeah. And I love, and I love how you've turned that to, um, how art is, is part of our being because, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the, the world that we live in, it's all, it's all like, what can we accumulate? You know, what is the, what is our status? And with art as a reflection of our being, I think that's, that's what's happening now because people are like, what do we like, what do we do with ourselves? Who are mm -hmm. we? What's happening? You know, all these things. And, um, and I'm, I'm thinking about what you said about how people turn to poetry in, in times of despair. And it's not often that we see um, poems of celebration. Um, and so mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you see that potential for celebration in these moments that feel very dire. Yes, um, I'm wondering, you know, even though there is the stereotype of the poet and the artist being this real tragic figure, you know, that you have to be at your very absolute lowest in order to produce work that is worth, um, you know, that is that is going to be long lasting uh, beyond you. I, you know, again, I kind of think like, no, let's not romanticize that kind of self-destruction, right? There are people who are you know, struggling for uh, any kind of bit of happiness in their lives. There are people who do have happiness in their lives and, you know, have um, 
communities and families that love them and, uh, you know, a relationship with their work and with the earth and with, you know, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, are things that are worth celebrating. And, um, you know, and I'm thinking also, you know, um, goodness, there's so much, right? Like I, I just wrote down Yoko Ono grapefruit. Um, and I don't know if you've read that book. It, uh, you know, it came out like in the seventies and what I loved about it were these tiny, tiny little pieces, um, that were about just art being there and we are amongst it and it is the world that we live in, right? It's, uh, you know, the way we interact with the sky, the way we try to touch the sky, the way the sky, you know, um, and the trees make these shadows and, you know, and that, uh, we can be lying on the ground looking at it and seeing art, or we can be in the tree looking down at the grass and art is there, or we can be, you know, in somebody's living room and art is just there in, you know, in the everyday. Um, so why not celebrate that, that everybody can participate in art, interact with it, make it, um, and let that be the celebration. Um, you know, and, and here I am already wanting to apologize for being a Pollyanna, but, um, you know, I think I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be writing and writing and writing uh, as much as I have been over the past 20 plus years if I didn't believe that, you know, it was something that was worth celebrating and sharing. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I sense that um, celebratory nature in your new collection, um, which I'd like to, to shift gears to talk about in a second. Okay. But what I love is you bringing this emphasis on how art can be in any moment. Mm -hmm. It can be here, it can be there, it's accessible. It's not like this highfalutin thing where you're in a gallery and you're like, oh, that's $10,000. Okay, no, I can't have that art. It, does, it doesn't yeah. have to be that, you know? And mm -hmm. it could be, uh -huh. it could be the Pollyanna Hallmark, you know, rhyming poem that mm -hmm. you write to, you know, your secret admirer or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope that, that, people in this in this moment of what feels like perpetual crisis mm -hmm. can um can turn to those small expressions and feel human again absolutely yeah when you said oh i can't have that art and my first instinct was to bristle and say you know there is that capitalist system that tells you no you can't have that art but you know what yes you can have art you can make art you know um thinking about like um, yeah, yeah. If, if it is just these, um, you know, little bits of expression or, um, you know, uh, my husband, um, Oscar Bromeo, he's also a poet. He teaches at the primary school level and just showed me these amazing works of art and poetry that some of these students made, these concrete poems um, that are entirely, you know, made out of words shaped into pictures with color and we have butterflies and we have a bowl of pho with sriracha being poured into it. And that's, you know, a poem made entirely out of letters and shapes. And, um, you know, and I'm thinking like, you know, if, if this were like a highfalutin vispo <laughs> person making that art, it would have value. But if it's a third grader or a fifth grader, then it's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, a little pat on the head. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, how sweet. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's interesting to see like what is what is what is given value and what is not. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I want to, and that is a whole other conversation. Girl. <laughs> uh, but I want to, but I want to talk about the new book because um, you know 
your, your work in general is for me personally has been, um, sort of this, this mirror where I'm like, Oh my God, how does she know? You know, like, Oh my God, <laughs> wait, I'm not the only one, you know? And I think that is the best for me, that is the best work where, where a reader can find themselves in it and, and feel seen. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like that's happening in this, um, in this collection. And so I want to ask you just to kind of frame it around the theme of my podcast, which is, you know, poetry and spiritual practices mm -hmm. is, um, is how much, cause, cause what I'm noticing in, in this, in this collection, so it's called letters to a, a young Brown girl. And mm -hmm. The way I'm reading it is that it's the, it's the the singular brown girl that has all these layers, but also all brown girls, mm -hmm. and um, the relationship with with the earth and with the divine, and it just it feels very um, almost magical and potent. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to oh, thank you. Yeah, I wanted you to to speak a little bit on how um, that quality has come into your writing because this is not the first time that that quality has shown up in your work I mean it, it's I think it's threaded throughout I um yeah I think you are right and I think that um first of all thank you that's a beautiful way of of uh, describing what it is that you're experiencing uh with the work and I think that one of the things I have been working at and is this term that is very, very contentious, decolonization, right? Mm. Um, it's contentious for many, many reasons, uh, including the fact that we are now in the 21st century and have undergone centuries of, of uh, you know, colonial um, um, imposition upon us. But what has that taken from us, right? Um, and then what remains? So those are the kinds of things that, you know, when I'm looking at the work and trying to think of, um, you know, how do I frame uh, resistance or how do I frame uh, my language or my self-expression in terms that are trying to not disappear the colonial values and the capitalist values that are very much like ingrained in every cell in our body, but, you know, how have I and how has my poetic brown girl been in active resistance against mm. that. And mm. a lot of that is, it is political, but it is also very much rooted in her looking at the earth and her relationship with the natural world. Um, you know, we don't look at it as parcels of land to be sold and just sucked all the life out of to maximize profit, right? Uh, right. We, Right. come from families and communities that have, you know, reciprocal relationships with the natural world because they know that what, uh, what is given to us, we have to return it, right? Mm. And we have to, as, as a responsibility, then tend to it and care for it. Um, you know, and, and I say all of these things also very aware that, um, you know, I, uh, you know, that, you know, at the risk of sounding like I am appropriating somebody else's indigeneity, I, I do want to say, right, my ancestors come from the land, right? <laughs> and, yeah, um, yeah. and so th these are the kinds of things that I, I really kind of want to, you know, um, I'm not going to go back there, but I really want to see, like, what of that has stayed with me, you know, mm -hmm. and, um yeah. Um, so I think that that's kind of where I'm at with it. And then um, another thing that I was saying recently uh, in 
I don't remember like if it was an interview I gave or, or somebody else was talking about, maybe I blogged about this. I can't even remember now where it came from, but I was thinking that, you know, trying to remember my elders, my grandparents, um, you know, uh, the folks in my family who, who gave me culture, um, the way that I've been doing that is just trying to remember the names of plants and flowers and vegetables mm. and fruits and, you know, things like that, that, you know, um, come from a place other than, uh, you know, a place of like, you know, acquisition and exploitation. Right. So, um, so, so like vegetables that are not from whole foods. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, not GMO, non like, uh, yeah, non, um, yeah. The stuff that we just kind of grew up with and the stuff that, you know, that were in our folk songs and that were, um, yeah, we were growing in our, in our, um, elders backyard gardens and, um, you know, and the stories that came with them and, um, you know, for me, I feel like that was kind of a way back in, you know, mm. to kind of think about like, what is my relationship to something other than my house and my car and my occupation? You know, how do yeah. I yeah. talk about and think about my family as something other than doctors and engineers and nurses, you know? Right. And, and right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And thinking about like the, the, spiritual traditions that you come mm-hmm. from, you know, and I'm, we're not talking just religion. We're talking, mm-hmm. like you said, the relationship with the earth and, and your, um, we'll say ancestral inheritance. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I want to ask about these, um, these, these wisdoms that your grandparents had shared with you. Cause as you were speaking, I was thinking about um, how recently I'm, I'm trying to recall, you know, my own grandparents' stories and, and things. And, um, and I remember hearing the first, my grandmother on my, uh, my mom's mom was the first to share with me the story of the Aswang. Right. Mm. And I remember like being scared out of my mind. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. But, um, but I wanted to ask you, so when, um, when you were recalling these things, like what was your relationship like with your grandparents? Um, you know, were you, were you here stateside or were you in the Philippines? You know, what, mm-hmm. what were the circumstances of that exchange of information and wisdom? Okay. Yeah. You know, my grandmother, my mother's mother lived with us uh, for some time in Fremont. And um, so I remember growing up with her from when I was like four or something till uh, I was an adolescent and then she moved back to the Philippines and uh, lived throughout the rest of her days there. Um, but she was the one who stayed home with me and raised uh, me and my sisters while my parents were both working. So, and I think that's a familiar story, right, to a lot of uh, folks from immigrant families is that you have this extended family taking on that labor, um, right? Because both of our parents are working. And this was in a time where I felt like so many of my classmates didn't have moms who worked. And so the fact that I had a mom who was in the grind, you know, uh, felt really awkward and different. And um, every time I would talk about the person who was, uh, you know, with me at home, calling her mama, people thought that was my mom, but it was my mother's mother, right? Mm. Um, And so she was, what I remember about her was that she was, uh, you know, real kind of, uh, she was a you know, this woman with a very, very big presence, and she moved very, very slowly and thoughtfully. Um, you know, part of it was that she was a little older and, and not 
in such great health. So she moved very, very slowly and deliberately through the garden and through the kitchen. And she would take this very long walk in the morning to go to church, right? And then very slowly walk back. Um, and then while we were, you know, I was sitting in the kitchen watching her cook, she would tell, you know, teach me like Ilocano folk songs and Baha'i Kubo and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And then we'd be out in the backyard and this is where the, you know, I know we were growing tomatoes. And I'm thinking maybe there was bitter melon there. I can't remember what else was there, but, you know, so I was learning all the names for these things. And, um, you know, so it was always in the course of these everyday interactions um, that I, I realized, and I'm very, very fortunate to have had that, right? Um, my grandfather, her husband, uh, uh, remained in the Philippines and would come and visit for long periods of time. And he was a doctor and a surgeon and, um, you know, very scientific. But, uh, you know, in, in my mind, I, I, I see him now. He lived till his mid-90s. It's a very, very wise and intellectual man. Um, so while my grandmother was teaching me folk songs and we were talking over, you know, the nilaga she was cooking and whatever, my grandfather was always very, um, you know, for me, I saw him as just somebody who was very stoic, you know, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I would kind of see him from afar. And it wasn't until I was much older that I went back to the Philippines and, you know, saw him in his home and in his land. And, um, you know, I, I think he was getting acquainted with the idea that I was going to be a writer. So he did this thing where he would just give me all the old photos and start overloading me with all the old stories of who was in the war and who grew up in this village and, you know, and uh, what was the shape of the family tree. He was just giving all of that to me in these big blasts that were just overwhelming. So it gave me this like just enormous sense of, of responsibility to try to get it all down, um, Mm, mm. which was hard. Right. Um, One of the last times he came to the States, you know, he was, telling me again, like he was the youngest of 11 siblings. And these are all the people um, in the family tree. These are the people who moved to Mindanao. These are the people who joined the Navy. Um, and I, I just said, Papa, I can't, I can't write all this down. <laughs> right? And he was like, it's okay, my dear. It's okay, darling. Just, just listen. Mm. You know, you just listen. So he was, um, you know, he was just, just, uh, I feel like that was infinite patience. He wasn't expecting me to like, you know, like bust out like the magna, magnum opus, <laughs> you know, right, just, right, like, right. Was, I need to give this to you because my time here is also, you know, coming to an end. Yeah. And I think that's a great, um, that was a great shift from this perception of him being a stoic sort mm-hmm. of patriarchal figure that you mm-hmm. didn't, we didn't know. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden he just opens up and says, mm-hmm. I want to share, you know, all this, all this knowledge with you. Mm-hmm. I'm passing it on. I'm passing mm-hmm. it down. Yes, um, absolutely. That's, a, that's amazing. That's amazing. I love that. Ah, thank you. Yeah, he was like everything in its proper place. And so it looks like Barbara is the proper place for all these things now. So you're like, all right, I'll take it. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, so when you went, when you went back to the Philippines, when you were older, were you able to um, see some of, of the land? And when I say the land, I don't mean like literally like, Hey, you know, here's the backyard, but I mean, Mm -hmm take it in as, as um, a, a person who's receiving 
the energy of the land of, of, you know, of the, the I don't know how else to say it, but the land, you know, yeah. Yeah. what was that? Yeah. Like? You know, I, um, it was, it, yeah, it was pretty intense. I, I was there in the nineties. I did a semester abroad at university of the Philippines and then, mm-hmm. um, then was able to spend some time with my friend's family down in Mindanao and then with my grandfather's family up, you know, up North in Cagayan province. Um, and what was intense for me was, you know, kind of reacquainting myself with people's belief systems. So I mm. walk through life here in the States with very little superstition. Again, these very kind of pragmatic lives of, you know, go to school, come home, do work, you know, rinse, lather, repeat, and uh, very l- little time sometimes to just kind of sit and wonder. That's what my life um, you know, the life that has been imposed upon a lot of us is like. And so um, just spending time again in, um, you know, in Keslin City for such a, such a, you know, a long period for me was to reacquaint myself with the way people did kind of think about the land and the spirits that inhabit the land and our coexistence with them. Um, whether it was a lot of those myths of the white ladies, uh, ghosts on Katipunan street and, you know, ghosts in the quad at a certain time of the night or in the map room at three in the morning. And it's always, you know, ghosts. um, <laughs> just kind of, yeah, of course it is. Right. They just coexist with us or we happen to inhabit their world. So we have to just, you know, appease them or, or, you know, be at peace with them and, um, you know, and understand this is a reality. This is not a nation of like backwards, superstitious kind of unintellectual people. This is just a social reality period. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. um, kind of, you know, opening my head to that idea and kind of going, get out of your little American brain and and start thinking about the fact that worldview is just worldview, right? Um, And so by the time we were, um, you know, up at my grandfather's um, home and the village and taking our walks and just, um, you know, uh, looking at the river and, you know, started, I remember starting to ask my grandfather these stories of uh, the Cagayan River, which is behind his house. And these are Mm. things that come up, I think, most in my book, Diwata, when we're talking about this river being this living thing that, um, as we know with rivers, unless you pave them or dam them, they will just take their course and change their course as it's just moving the earth. And, um, you know, and so I told him, I remembered long, long, long time ago when I was six, the river felt like it was really far away and that there was farmland back here and there were goats and there were mango trees and there were people who lived behind the house. And, and now I just, I see the river right here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, I don't think anybody ever said to me, you know, this river is alive. Um, but that is what came out of it for me, right? That this river mm-hmm. is alive and that, you know, and that, that is just what you do. You respect it. Yeah. You know, and if it's <laughs> ever would have come from my grandfather's home that had been there since the thirties, they would have just had to respect it. And yeah. Yeah. Move yeah. On. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And that's- um, brains and just really kind of respect that these things have forces of their own. Yeah. And I think that's what's, that's what's lost um, or has been lost, but I feel that that might be coming back during these pandemic times. Um, 
you know, maybe not as, as quickly as maybe I would like it to happen, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. but I think there's this, there's this stillness that's being imposed on us. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and I love what you said about how you got reacquainted with the slowness and of, of the pace of life there. Because, you know, when I went, um, mm-hmm. I went to the Philippines in, um, 2003 um mm-hmm. and i and i had visited my mom's hometown uh for the first time it's a uh, lukban in the Quezon province mm-hmm. and i remember going getting up at like before dawn with my grandmother to go to the neighbor's house to go get black rice mm-hmm. and fresh pandasal and nice. she, would just, she would just like take her time and i'm like you know, this American girl, like, come on, like, let's go, let's go, you know? I'm yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> and I, even my pace was like walking New York City streets kind of thing, mm-hmm. but she was very slow. And I was just like, all right, you know, because in, in the town, like, she's like the Donya. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. she's like the mayor because everybody knew who she nice. was. And it was, <laughs> it was this deliberate, you know, pace that she was keeping that I was like, all right, I just have to follow her, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And if that's not yeah. a metaphor for, our relationship with our elders and ancestors, then, you know, I don't know what is. Seriously. Yeah. And you're like, accept, let it go and accept. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah. So pandemic is definitely changing the way that I'm thinking about my pace through life. And then here in California too, we have just had months and months of fire. Yeah. Yeah. So on top of everything else, right. um, This ability to go out into the world and just be like, under the redwood groves and stuff has been taken from us right mm. now. But, um, you know, and so folks here, uh, you know, I realize like also kind of admiring our nature from afar and kind of not necessarily understanding it. You know, I, I, I tried to be very reassuring and I was saying like, um, you know, I, I've actually done a little bit of reading and, and listening to people talk about the sequoias out here, you know, here you are thinking that they are going to kind of all end, but these sequoias have been here since before Jesus. Okay. Um, and one thing that you learn about the culture of fire is that this is what opens up their seeds so -hmm. that we can have more redwoods that are going to be here thousands of years beyond us. Right. Mm -hmm. So our structures are going to fall and that is tragic and it's difficult. It's very, very like awful to accept, but a redwood that has been here since before Jesus is kind of not going to trip too much. Right. Right. It's like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like learn about what is around you, learn what is here and how life works here, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And don't impose your value system upon it. It's, it's going to outlast us. Yeah. 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 And that's what, and, and I, and right now I've got, like two kinds of things converging together and and what i want to say in response is is that it's to watch it from a distance is really important Mm -hmm. as as Mm -hmm. observers to learn the lessons that we need to learn yeah um but then to also like one of the lessons being like just to let go and to trust Mm -hmm. right and so as as you were talking about that i was thinking about your current collection as a kind of observation, you know, because I, um, 
I used to be the poet who was all about identity politics, right? Where I was like, I got to write about this, 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 this is who I am, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah. Which is not to say that I'm not that anymore, but I have a different relationship with that as far as like Mm. who I am and who I'm being is more than just the labels that are put on me in this human material existence, right? And so what I'm... What I'm seeing is in this particular collection is more you are expressing the the varied layers and experiences of brown girls, specifically Filipinas. Um, And there isn't, for me, there isn't like this insistence like, hey, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. Like I'm claiming who I am. It's more of this is who mm. I am. If you don't like it, too bad, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. So many, many decades of, of having to fit other people's kinds of perceptions and containers that they've set um, out for us. And, you know, certainly those are externally imposed, you know, um, but they come from us too, right? Yeah. That a, uh, a woke pinai only looks like one thing or sounds like one thing. And I'm right. like, eh, you know, let, let's not colonize ourselves like that. You know, yeah. let's like be respectful of, of uh, you know, and then also like, uh, is a woke pinai always going to be kind of perpetually 27? You know, <laughs> uh, I am going to be 50, right? In, 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 uh, in about half a year. Um, you know, and, and I know woke Panais who are, who are moms and grandmas and, you know, who are uh, non-binary and who are queer and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so why, why are we trying to constantly shove the woke Panai or the woke brown girl into the singular kind of tiny, tiny little container? We're doing that. Why are we doing yeah. that to ourselves? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I think, question. yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm definitely not trying to, you know, to preach to anybody that they need to be, you know, you know, presentable in a certain way. Um, yeah, I feel yeah, like definitely. You're, you know? you're more of, um, it's it's like you're participating while also documenting, if that makes yes, sense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I like that role to be able to just kind of step back and see, right? Um, you know, one thing I did when I first started writing these poems was just to put out on um I wanted to reach out to community. Um, just you know, how do you write a book? that embodies Kapwa, right? This uh, self and others, uh, Filipino core value. If you are writing from your own point of view as an individual, so how do you extend that, that, uh, um, that poetic speaker's point of view? So I, I reach out to the community and I do this via social media because it's where it's the only opportunity I have to talk to a lot of other Filipinas and other people. Mm-hmm. And I just said, you know, I just put out a post that was like, okay, Pinas, what questions do you have to ask me? Right. Mm. I just left it open like that. And there were college students and, uh, you know, women who are much closer to my demographic and people who are moms, moms of teenagers, uh, you know, uh, younger moms, you know, folks like that asking me random questions about mm. their their lives, about their um you know, their life partners, their stepfathers, their, their art, you know, and, um, you know, so I realized like, there is a lot of stuff here that I would have never considered writing about for myself, 
right? Because my concerns are not about my, you know, about whiteness in my life and this, you know, like, but it's out there, right? Yeah. So to honor, to honor them, because I did ask them to ask me questions, you know, I wrote in response to those questions, mm. um, you know, so it was easy to kind of step back and observe and say like, you know, somebody is asking me, what if my writing is too ethnic? What if my name sounds too foreign? You know, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, how do I answer a question like that? I kind of have yeah. to ask some questions back. Why is that bad? Why, you know, why are we worried about these kinds of things? Um, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea that that was. Hi, Oscar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I had no idea that this was the, the birth of the, of the book. And I think that's amazing because, mm. because, you know, I said earlier in our conversation that this book felt like it was a, a singular person with lots of layers, mm. but then also mm -hmm. many people at the same time. And so that mm. Mm -hmm. reveals just how connected we are in our experiences. Um, yeah. Because I don't know how many times in the book I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, see, there she is again. Myself. There I am. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's wild. It's wild. And it, and it really speaks to how, um, how connected we are, not even in terms of our um, experience as brown girls or Filipinas or what have you, but just as, mm -hmm. as human beings, you know? Yeah. I got to tell you, yeah, I, um, many years ago, uh, we went to Stanford to listen to Linda Hogan talk, and she's this uh, Native American author, and she was reading from her book called Dwellings, which is essays about being in the world, and one thing that she was talking about was like, um, I believe it's the Aspen, where you think of the organism being a singular tree, but it is really like a whole kind of system, interconnected system of like roots and trunks, etc. And so um, that then is a metaphor for, for the community, right? Mm. That there are these individuals and then, but we are these interconnected systems and interdependent systems upon one another and so if you if you uh, cut down one of the aspens you know on the surface um, well number one you're harming the whole organism the whole interconnected organism but also you haven't eradicated uh, the whole organism because it in its huge interconnectedness um, will be able to bounce back from that one aspen having come been let down, right? It's kind of similar too with that here, right? With that when you see them growing, they they appear in these circles, um, you know, that are, uh, you know, that that rely on the same root system, and um, you know, and so uh, listening to Linda Hogan talk about this uh, made me think like you know, there there is definitely something here that that applies to, you know what I'm trying to get at when I'm thinking about myself being in community, mm -hmm. you know? And so I need to kind of keep exploring that. Yeah. How, yeah. right? Part of it is that process of asking other people. Yeah. yeah. And, and I feel that um, <laughs> it's not often that people ask, you know, I feel that it's often, how do mm. I, how do I figure it out? Let me try this, 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 let me throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks mm. that forgetting that 
Yeah. And actually talk to the community and have conversations uh-huh. and engage in dialogue to create something. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just appreciate everything that, that you're talking about in terms of the process of how this book is born, because I love this book so much. <laughs> uh Oh, I think you might've like faded out for a second there. Okay. Sorry okay, about I, that. No, no, no. It's okay. You know, everyone's on the internet. Everybody's on zoom. Everybody's. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. it's a little, a little slow. but um yeah but yeah so i wanted to um to kind of further the 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 discussion on the role of our relationship as humans with the with the natural with the, the mm-hmm. spiritual with the supernatural you know earlier mm-hmm. you talked about superstitions and and while you're talking about it i was thinking of of one superstition, I, and I forget about all of them. You know, when my grandmother lived mm-hmm. with us, I knew them all. But now I'm like, I don't even mm-hmm. know what they are. But I remember yeah. one: um, when you drop a utensil, that means somebody's coming over to visit. <laughs> I remember that too. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm wondering, like, how, like, maybe talk a little bit about our relationship collectively with the unseen and how that might you know, play a role in, in how we're being on this planet, you know? Um, um, yeah, that's a really good question. I, I've been thinking a little bit about, um, you know, who and what are around us in these spaces, right? We're only here for a certain amount of time, but before us, what was here, who was here, right? Um, you know, kind of asking, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, I, I don't know that we do this enough, kind of, you know, kind of say thank you for sharing this space with me, etc. But I, I noticed I've been uh, when I'm on you know, out in um, nature, when I'm in, in um, you know, under the redwoods or, or by the ocean or in, you know, one of these hikes that I've just gotten totally lost, um, you know, uh, immersed in not lost like I'm gonna die of exposure but like really immersed in 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 a hike in the natural world I, I realize that I'm walking through um, you know I'm walking through the natural world and and thanking the trees and thanking uh, whoever may be listening and by that I typically mean like something unseen um, mm. thanking them for letting me share that space right yeah. um, when um, the red tail hawks are coming through or the condors are California condors or, you know, uh, the rabbits and, you know, things like that. I, I realize I'm like, thank you. Excuse me. I, uh, you know, uh, you know, sorry to harm you or disturb you. And, and I'm like, okay, you remember that whole Tabipo, um phrase that you say when you walk past like an anthill or, or something oh. like that. It's like, excuse me, I'm yeah. just passing through. So yeah. I'm sorry to you right um, and, and I know to say that then you know whoever is there the spirit that is there could get vindictive and, and harm you um, you know and and uh, you know so for us to just say excuse me I'm sorry I'm just passing through I mean no, no disrespect um, certainly is a way of protecting ourselves but it is a way of acknowledging that there is something there that is more powerful than us and mm. so, you know, our right, quote, right to pass through the space has everything to do with how properly 
we are, uh, you know, we are regarding and treating this, uh, these spaces. Right. Um, and I, you know, I never, like I said, I never think of myself as a superstitious person, but then I find myself doing that all the time with these gigantic oak trees and whatever, you know, and I had a colleague in grad school who said to me, cause I said, you know, I, I say, excuse me and thank you you know, to the trees just in case, but I'm not superstitious. I don't believe in. And he goes, sounds to me just in case, sounds to me like you do believe, right? So I'm always saying I'm a non-believer, but here I am acting, right? My actions are showing you that I very much do believe, right? That this oak is going to be kind to me and, and the spirits that reside in the oak will understand that I'm not there to do it any harm. I'm like, where yeah. did that come from? It's been with me a very, very, very long time. It's deep in there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Your formative so, yeah. years. It was planted there by your Lola, you know. <laughs> I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 what I love is this um what you're speaking about is is being aware of of us being in relationship with you know, mm-hmm. in relationship with the nature, in relationship with things that are unseen, in relationship to each other, rather than like one mm-hmm. dominating over the other. Um, Thank you. I, yes. Uh huh. Yeah, and I feel like that that's that's um, sort of what's happening in 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 your poems, these recent poems, because I, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm seeing and noticing that it is it is a, a declaration and of. Uh, an identity, but also a presence, but at the mm-hmm. same time saying, you know, if you're not um, accepting of it, or if you don't understand that, then we're not having a relationship because I'm going to have a relationship with somebody who honors that, who sees yeah. me, who, um, you know, isn't going to exterminate me, you know? Thank you. Um, yes. And, um, and I really, and I, and I don't know if you see this, but I see all the layers of both like the physical identity of being a brown girl in the larger world of nature, but also spiritual, you know, presences. Um, and so I'm really like so excited about this book. Mm, um, yeah, I love it. I love it. So I want to say thank you for coming um, and speaking okay. with me on the show. This was really <laughs> great. Um, I want to invite you to to see if you brought a poem to close. Yeah, this out. is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I actually do. I was looking to see, like, okay, um, I was like, now who who to me kind of uh, you know speaks to that um, kind of self in relation to others and, you know, kind of, a, you know, in, in the natural world being much more powerful than any, any one of us individual selves. So this is Marjorie Avasco, who is a Filipino mm. poet based in the Philippines. And this is her poem called Acquainted with Lightning. So should I just go ahead and read it? Yes, please. Okay. Marjorie Avasco's Acquainted with Lightning. In the wild spaces of of our earth, we stand together, trees of a tropical jungle. In the hoary thicket of our heads, eagles feed their young with live raw meat, with live meat, raw blood. On the branches of our limbs, bugs, ants, spiders, chameleons feed warmly on each other. Against our sturdy trunks, birds knock and carve, holds rights into our hearts for shelter. 
And down at the base where our feet walk underground, we make friends with worms. We also sense the changes of weather, reading clouds that roll and thunder, whiplash of monsoon rain. As we stand together in this last wilderness, we gape in awe when lightning cracks the sky. We fear the sound and smell when one of us is struck, soul seared and burning. So that um, is Marjorie Vasco. Um, this was published, I first read this in the Philippines in a publication out there, and then uh, it is here in Prairie Sooner. Um, Oh, so great. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. I was just like, keep reading. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so good. So good. So Barbara Jean, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Um, I really, really love the book. And for any of my listeners, you have to buy it, even if you're not a brown girl, because <laughs> there's so much beauty in that. Um, so much fierceness, sass, uh, food. Oh my God, all the food. Like just read it yeah. just for the food. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I gotta tell you, I have one of my grand, yeah, one of my grad students had said to me after I read a series of the brown girl poems, he, he said to me, I want to be one of your brown girls. Can I be one of your brown girls? I'm like, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why not? Oh my God. So awesome. So awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Fun. So thank you. So to close our episode, uh, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you until next time. Namaste. Healing is so necessary for women writers of color. Whether we know it or not, our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves. How can we be more present to this? How can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance? Follow me on Instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle, at Surya Gyan Yogi, S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I, or visit my website to learn more at suryagyan.com. Your best healed life starts now.